This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to Soul Searching with Seneca. So in today's episode, we're finishing off letter number 19 on worldliness and retirement, uh, finally getting into the 20s, which is a wonderful, uh, wonderful news. And, uh, and so today, we're just going to be focusing on the last couple of verses of this letter where Seneca gives us his quote from Epicurus for the letter and, uh, and then discusses it. So we'll dive in and we'll read these verses and then see what we can take away from it. He says, quote, I shall draw on the account of Epicurus. He says, you must reflect carefully beforehand with whom you are to eat and drink, rather than what you are to eat and drink. For a dinner of meats without the company of a friend is like the life of a lion or a wolf. Then Seneca says, this privilege will not be yours unless you withdraw from the world. Otherwise, you will have as guests only those whom your slave secretary sorts out from the throng of callers. It is, however, a mistake to select your friend in the reception hall or to test him at the dinner table. The most serious misfortune for a busy man who is overwhelmed by his possessions is that he believes men to be his friends when he himself is not a friend to them, and that he deems his favours to be effective in winning friends, although, in the case of certain men, the more they owe, the more they hate. A trifling debt makes a man your debtor. A large one makes him an enemy. What, you say, do not kindnesses establish friendships? They do, if one has had the privilege of choosing those who are to receive them, and if they are placed judiciously, instead of being scattered broadcast. Therefore, while you are beginning to call your mind your own, meantime apply this maxim of the wise... Consider that it is more important who receives a thing than what it is that he receives. Farewell. End quote. Okay, so there's some interesting ideas floating around these few verses. Uh, you know, you could see these verses as uh, almost a commentary on the type of decisions that people were faced with in prominent society in Rome at the time. I mean, this was a time where, you know, you really had to know who your friends were and who were not necessarily your friends. Seneca talks about uh, how, you know, you should really fully be able to trust somebody before you admit them into your friendship. You should be confident in telling them absolutely anything about yourself in order to call them your friend, you know, but until that time, uh, you would not deem them as a friend. And and I suppose that one of the reasons why this was such an important uh, thing to consider at this time is because if you're in a position like Seneca in high society in, in Rome during this period, I mean, you really needed to know who your friends were, because if you couldn't trust somebody, then the chances that they might very quickly be turned 
turned against you uh, in some sort of political dispute or some sort of accusation or, um, you know, Seneca knew all about this. He knew about the games of politics and the games of power that were going on. And you had to be very, very careful with the way that you deal with people, who you admit into your friendship, uh, what kinds of people you surround yourself with. You know, this is very important stuff. So uh, really, I mean, this is this is almost a very practical piece of advice just for uh, anybody who was in that time uh, in similar positions to Seneca saying, be very, very careful, right? Because uh, what's more important, and, and this is really the second point that I wanted to make, is uh, that in this these few verses, you see that Seneca is pointing out through Epictetus and then through himself that it's way more important to think about who you surround yourself with, the type of people that you surround yourself with, than just thinking about getting people into your home or, or what you're going to eat. And so uh, it's talking about priorities, how we prioritize our decisions, how we prioritize our relationships with other people and, and uh, with whom we give favors and what kind of favors. And there's a whole bunch of things to think about when, when you read these verses. But we'll dive in, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start reading from the start again and take a few things out here, uh, a few passages out, and, uh, and we'll see what we can take away from them. So first, I'll pick apart this quote from Epicurus, who says, You must reflect carefully beforehand with whom you are to eat and drink, rather than what you are to eat and drink. For a dinner of meats without the company of a friend is like the life of a lion or a wolf. Now, the first thing that I take away from this quote is that it, it reminds me of this theme that we see in a lot of the uh, ancient philosophers' writings, uh, which is a rhetorical device they'd use of likening certain decisions that humans would make to the lives of animals, right? Uh, because in here, he's, he's basically saying, listen, if the food is your highest priority and it's not the people with whom you are eating the food, then basically your life is becoming like a lion or a wolf. Or at least you could say that making those decisions with those priorities, right, uh, makes you more like a wolf or a lion than it does a human. And 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 the the reason why he would give this analogy and why so many of the ancient philosophers would use this kind of technique is to show you that listen, we as human beings, we have something called reason. We have that ability to make uh, conscious decisions uh, about these things in our lives. And when we when we lose that ability to make the best decisions possible. Uh, there is this kind of sliding back into our animal nature, and it, it, it is kind of a regression of our true nature as human beings. And it reminds me of this uh, analogy that Epictetus gave as well. You know, he, he would say that when it comes to friendship, most people are like little puppies. And the reason he said that is because uh, most people, when they have friends, you know, when everything is good and fine, you know, when they're in the pen together and they're just playing about, things are fine. You know, everybody's happy and they're just playing and they're cute and it's all very nice. But as soon as you throw some meat into the pen with all these puppies, what do they do? They turn against each other. You know, it's mine. I want it. You know, and they all just go for the meat and and uh, and there's no consideration for the friendship that they've had uh, earlier on. And so you can clearly see how this might relate to a lot of us uh, when it comes to our friendships. You know, are we really just being pleasant and happy with each other just until, you know, things don't go quite as well as they've always gone for us, right? Until there's an obstacle thrown in the way or there's, there's a disturbance, you know, then do we turn against each other? And when we turn against each other, are we basically just like the animals who will do that when there's meat thrown into the pen, you know? It's, it's interesting to think about these analogies because it can show us that, listen, there's a reason why we have this thing called reason. 
and that is to allow us to, in a way, rise above our uh, animal nature, the origins from which we came, and to be something different, to be conscious, aware, awake human beings making decisions uh, and ordering our lives in a way. And so, you know, this is why, you know, it's so important to use these analogies of likening us unto animals sometimes because it can really show us that, hey, you know what, like so so much of my life probably is more like an animal than a human being. And you could also certainly think about uh, the conversations we've been having around Seneca's writings on uh, desire, right, Uh, as it pertains to regression into our animal nature. Because it certainly seems that desire, uh, whether it be lust or whether it be gluttony, you know, uh, the desire for riches, these sorts of things, um, there's a good argument to be made that when you allow that to take over your conscious awareness and your decisions, what's happening is you're regressing into an animal nature, you know, this kind of feast or famine mindset instead of uh, really thinking consciously about making the wisest decisions uh, for what you really need right now. And so, anyway, what Epicurus is really saying here is think about your priorities. You know, the food is not the most important thing. It's with whom you are eating the food. That is what allows us to tap into uh, reason, you know, into our, our human capabilities to order our lives and spend time with people who we appreciate and who appreciate us, you know, friends, true friends. And what Seneca says about this is he basically makes a comment on, you know, what it would be like, uh, for example, for a person in prominent Rome society at that time uh, to actually try and enact this principle in his life. And he says that, you, you know, this privilege will never be yours unless you withdraw from the world. Otherwise, you will have as guests only those whom your slave secretary sorts out from the throng of callers. So he's saying that, listen, unless you retire, unless you withdraw from the world, unless you withdraw from your public life, you're always going to be bogged down in your busyness and you will have somebody else choosing your friends for you, which is the slave secretary, right? And according to the notes here, a slave secretary was somebody who was kept by every prominent Roman to identify the master's friends and dependents. So you can imagine uh, that every night at your dinner table, you're surrounded by these public figures or these people who you haven't really chosen to be around you because you're so busy that you have somebody else do that for you and they're just coming in to eat around your dinner table. And Seneca goes on to say that this is a mistake because he said that it's a mistake to select your friend in the reception hall or to test him at the dinner table, right? And so, Seneca is pointing out that unless you can withdraw from all of your busyness, right, you will never have the satisfaction of being able to choose uh, consciously the people who you want to be around your dinner table. It's always going to be, you know, people who might want something from you, a political favor, or you're doing them a favor. Uh, You know, it's going to be a business dinner. It's going to be a political dinner. But will it ever be a true friendship dinner, you know, where the people who are sitting around the table, uh, the people who you really want to be there? Uh, And and that's a special thing that Seneca is recommending that he would need to uh, remove himself from that public life in order to obtain that. And so Seneca goes on to say, 
And I'll, I'll stop as we're reading this because there's a few points that I want to make. He says, The most serious misfortune for a busy man who is overwhelmed by his possessions. Right? So what is the busy man who's overwhelmed by his possessions? Well, think about it like this. Let's take somebody like Seneca back in Roman times right now. He's a political figure, so he's obviously got those responsibilities to other people. He's beholden to other people. And in that time, I mean, if you were in politics in that time, there was the likely chance that you were pretty much a slave to politics, you know, you you could not step out of line, uh, otherwise there would be grave consequences potentially for you um, in the crazy world of Roman politics, right? So he's he's basically, he's a slave to that, then he's got a whole bunch of estates, so he's a slave to those things as well, because they own him, he doesn't necessarily own them, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that he has to do to keep those estates running. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people who he owes favours to, or who owe favours to him, you know, it's like, uh, once you've got all of this busyness in your life, you've got these positions, you've got these possessions, you've got these estates, all of this sort of stuff. It, it's it's almost like uh, you could say that you're a slave to all of these things. That's what the busy man who has uh, essentially been overwhelmed by his possessions, that's what that person is like. Uh, and this is why at the end of the letter, if I can jump forward a bit, he says, uh, therefore, while you are beginning to call your mind your own, because at the moment, it's not his own mind. You know, it belongs to everybody else. It belongs to his possessions. This is why you withdraw from the world a little bit or, or completely, as he's trying to say here, so that your mind does become your own and you can think what you think, you can do what you do, uh, and and you are not beholden uh, to everything else that you have uh, been enslaved to around you. And so he says, the most serious misfortune for a busy man who is overwhelmed by his possessions is that he believes men to be his friends when he himself is not a friend to them, and that he deems his favours to be effective in winning friends, although in the case of certain men, the more they owe, the more they hate. A trifling debt makes a man your debtor, a large one makes him an enemy." And so the first thing to note is that in Roman times, doing favors and receiving them in return was a serious business, right? It, it was very, very serious, especially would have been in politics, right, and business. Uh, that, you know, if I give you a favor, I expect that you are now in debt to me. Uh, and and there's, something, there's something beautiful about that, but Seneca is also pointing out that, uh, listen, there's something dangerous about that. And the problem with being somebody who is so overwhelmed by their possessions, who is a slave to their positions and to their estates and all these sorts of things, is that they think that they can buy their friendships, right? And that's certainly not the case. We know this, right? It's a classic saying, you cannot buy friendship. And so the mistake that they would make, you know, if, if you're just so busy and if you've basically just got all these people coming over to your home and you're giving out favors to whoever sits around your dinner table, you're not being selective with who receives the favor, but you're just, you're just giving out these favors thinking that what you're doing is you're buying friends. And Seneca points out a truth of human nature, which is that, hey, if somebody owes too much to you, that can actually turn them around and now they're actually your enemy. Now they'll hate you because they owe too much, you know, it becomes uncomfortable. Uh, and so, and so he's pointing out these strange little uh, idiosyncrasies, these intricate details of human nature. And then he goes on to say, what you say, do not kindnesses establish friendships? They do if one has had the privilege of choosing those who are to receive them, and if they are placed judiciously instead of being scattered broadcast. And so Seneca is basically making a, a similar argument to what Epicurus made in his quote, uh, but about friendship and giving favors. He's saying, uh, 
it's it's more important to think about who you're giving the favor to than it is to just uh, broadly give out favors to anybody who enters your home. And that's what's really going to win friendship is when you 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 care to make the conscious decision of this is the person who I want to give this favor to, and here's why, and what am I going to do for them? It's more about the the thought that you put into it of of the type of person who you want to be around as opposed to just buying friends with your favors wherever they come. And so he sums it all up by saying that while you are beginning to call your mind your own, again, you know, while you're removing yourself from, uh, from society to an extent and, and trying to gain that freedom of your own mind, uh, meantime, apply this maxim of the wise. Consider that it is more important who receives a thing than what it is that he receives. And I just think that this is a really important lesson that we could all learn in our lives, right? What he's calling us to is a greater awareness and attention to the details of our interactions with people, to the details of what we give and what we receive, you know, to the details of, of, of how we think about our friendships in our life and, 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 and to remember that you cannot just buy friendships. That's not what's most important. It's with whom are you spending time? With whom are you giving favors? You know, with whom are you eating dinner? with, uh, if we go back to Epicurus's thoughts. And I just think this is really interesting, right? Because so much of the time in these letters, we see that Seneca is really analyzing human behavior, and he's pointing out the mistakes that we can make when we kind of regress into our more animal nature, or when we regress into uh, a kind of unconscious way of doing things, where we just start making decisions for the sake of making decisions, right? Uh, And he's saying, no, no, come back, Uh, you know, recognize that uh, humans are very, very complicated creatures, and I feel like you could almost put Seneca into the category of an early type of psychologist. You know, he's looking from afar. He's watching people, how they behave. He saw in Roman politics both excellent characters and also hideous, terrible characters, you know, bad players. And and he would see how people act and see what they do with their lives. And he would stand back from afar and he'd watch this and he'd learn these laws of human nature. And, and that's a lesson in itself, to be able to stand back and watch people and to, and to be able to listen to the clues of, of how people act and, and, and what is likely to happen if you make certain decisions, which is why I think it's so interesting that he, that he points out in this letter that uh, really you need to be careful about uh, giving too many favors because uh, it can turn people against you. And that's so true. It's so true that you can give out too much and it becomes overwhelming And so perhaps Seneca didn't have a lot of the data on how people behave uh, that we might have today, Uh, but he certainly had the the street smarts, you know, he certainly had the wisdom, that's what wisdom is, uh, to pay attention, to be attentive to, to the way that people behave and what that can teach you about how you should act in the world, right? And, uh, and that, as I said, is a lesson all in itself. So, again, I hope you've enjoyed these uh, episodes on this letter. It's uh, certainly, uh, I, I didn't expect to spend so much time on this letter, but as you really dive in and as you really think about what Seneca is saying, there's so much packed in here that we can think about. And hopefully I've given you in these few episodes some questions to think about and some wisdom for living a better life. So, again, I hope you've enjoyed these and I will talk to you next time when we're discussing letter number 20.